Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape rooms. This week, we're going to have a bit of fun. I am joined here by my friend Augie, uh, and he is going to, this week we are going to be talking about ciphers and our favorite ciphers and possibly the world of treasure hunts too. Welcome, Augie. Hey, how's it going? Happy to be here. It's going. So for those of you who maybe attended uh, recon, the digital recon in the last two years, uh, Augie is responsible for all of the ARG fun you might have had during recon. He's also did a lot of other stuff for recon, but um, I should not be talking about him. I will let him talk about himself. So Augie, how about you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into this puzzling world? Uh, yeah. Hi. Uh, so my name is Mike Augustine, but no one, no one actually knows that, and I don't really go by it. Uh, everybody calls me <laughs> Augie, although online it's mostly Okapi kids on all the socials and whatnot. Um, I am a strategist by day, so I kind of randomly got into the the branding world about a decade ago, and uh, turns out I love it. So um, that's been awesome. It's what keeps the lights on uh, for the most part. Um, uh, my foray into the these worlds, I would say, kind of came really randomly and unexpectedly, like most other things do. I <laughs> Years ago, a friend of mine had seen something from Dyson, like the vacuum company. Uh, oh. it, was a, it, was a, it was a contest called Rethinkers. And it was this global competition where they were trying to find people that thought differently. And I was like, oh. okay, this, this sounds pretty cool. And the, the very first puzzle was a, a video that had these diagrams hidden on like singular frames within the video and it basically told you how to origami fold a printout that would then lead to a a next cipher i was immediately uh thrilled about this i I basically just moved into my office at work and stayed there all night because they have a printer and i haven't seen a printer in real life in a long time outside Uh, i I have two defunct printers like sitting oh yeah apartment <laughs> i mean i think every printer is a defunct printer that just works occasionally <laughs> somehow yeah. that technology is ancient and still can't seem to work right um, but i i was like oh you know I'm, I'm enjoying this and i'm i'm kind of decent at it so i figured i'd give it a whirl and they did uh, kind of a drip of puzzles every few days so it came to be the last day and i think it was a tuesday and it released at 9 a.m so i'm i'm at work and i have a meeting with my boss and she's like oh how's that how's that weird little puzzle thing going i was like oh yeah i think i'm i think i'm pretty far but they just released the the newest the, the you know the final puzzle and I'm I got a day at work and, and I'll get around to it later. And she was like, well, "Why don't you just like go do it now?" And like the work can wait, which is something <laughs> you don't hear I think a lot at work. But uh, I've been very lucky in in uh, in my my places of work and my my supervisor. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll wait till lunch and I'll go check it out. And I went to lunch and I finished it and the prize was the top four people got sent to germany to like have a secret what? meeting with dyson's head of innovation Dyson or something did, yeah did <laughs> absolutely uh you can i think you can still find the video online uh, i need it, to it was surprisingly find this now. Cool. Uh, so I, I i was like all right i'll just wait till lunch and i'll do it and i went over lunch and i cranked out and i finished it and a couple days pass and i find out that i was fifth in the world oh. um, and and had i just like been more confident in this yeah i, I assumed yeah. that there were just like bunkers full of people who were you know much better at away this. for yeah. their, at their on their so, secret dyson project i think uh, that was the one that kind of broke me uh it's never left me that like that <laughs> thought of had i only started earlier like i had a, i had a crack at this and i think that was what got me uh really 
independently, like personally competitive in this space. Um, I am <laughs> one of those from people that, that day forward. You yeah, are. absolutely. <laughs> I, I've done I think about two hundred escape rooms at this point, and and I've, yeah. I've seen a lot of stuff. And I'm still the one that's like, look, we can have a good time in here, but personally, <laughs> I am trying to set every record imaginable. Um, oh and then, my goodness! As far as escape rooms, this was like so. I was working in. Uh, trends uh years back and um trends and strategy have a pretty big overlap in a lot of the places that i've been mm-hmm. and i had researched uh escape rooms in asia and i was like oh these sound awesome i would love to do one of these and yeah. uh, this is this is going to be important to most of the things that i'll ramble about i live in ohio uh we uh, are a bit behind the times in general when it comes to like fancy new things so right, right. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, I'd love to find one of these escape rooms. And I looked around and there's, there's not, this was 2014. There's nothing at this point anywhere near me. And I was like, well, that, that sucks. That's unfortunate. Uh, I'll just build one. So I, I went to my company and I was like, hey, can I try to make like a, a team building activity that's not going to be trust falls and whatnot? <laughs> and they were like, oh, uh, sure, what do you need? And I was like, I-, I don't know. How about like $25 to buy some padlocks? And then I'll figure it out. Uh, and they were like, sure. So I went and built this. We, uh, The company that I was at at the time had a, mm-hmm. a, a mansion, basically, across the street that we used for presentations and whatnot. Oh, so really? I, oh my God. That's like my dream scenario, It was, it was right? very cool. The, the space was gorgeous. <laughs> However, my my skills at the time did not uh, <laughs> did not take advantage of it very well. Uh, yeah. So I, I built my first escape room in like 2014, and we ran a bunch of teams in the company through it. And to be honest, it was atrocious. Uh, I think everyone enjoyed it because they had nothing to compare it to at the time. But I had, I had a Knights and Knaves puzzle that was way too complex for for general purpose use. Right, uh, right. I had I had an absurd amount of search. Um, there were not there necessarily were, a bad thing. You know? not, not not necessarily a bad thing. But I will say that as someone who had you know read a couple of paragraphs, obtuse paragraphs about what these things might contain. I was just kind of throwing my best guesses at it. So Right, uh, right, right. <laughs> but you know, that was it was a great experience for me and it allowed me to test my abilities to make these things and then also test what people enjoy. So especially at a time like this when I'm working with non puzzlers for the most part. Oh yeah, yeah. I learned yeah. a whole lot real quick about uh, and this is something <laughs> that's been that's been uh, talked about a lot, I think in a couple of your recent episodes about that, you know, if you think it's if you think it's easy, you're you're wrong. Um yeah. you know, make yeah. it easier, make it easier, make it more you know, more transparent, everything. So I got to I got to learn a lot really quickly and they let me do several of these over a couple of years to the point where by the time I got to the last one I did there, I was we, we were making these for clients, and I was able to customize all of the content for the work we were doing with them, and I was able to sit back and actually take some notes on how teams were operating, and it actually turned out really well. And around the time that I had done like my fifth or sixth, I think some companies had finally made their way toward Cincinnati. You know, we got we got our breakout, our first breakout games, and things like that. So. Um, I, I fell in love with the space then, and then it's all kind of blossomed out from there, mainly from the connections that I've been able to make uh, mm-hmm. because this community is incredible. Uh, yeah. So it's it's been a it's been a long and winding journey, uh, but it's been it's been great. So, are you still running an escape room? Uh, no, I um, I will occasionally make them for parties. I made one in mm. uh, so I, I live on a boat now, but before that, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was living um, in a pretty big house with two roommates and. Uh, had made a, a pretty 
a pretty decent room in our unfinished basement um, for uh, for one of our Halloween parties, which was a blast. But also, we tend to party pretty heavily, and there was there was a pretty pretty evident delineation between the teams that performed well and the teams that had been at the party for longer. Uh, so as the <laughs> night went on, when we had we had you know hourly slots filled out, and I think by the time we got to the last one, people were having enough trouble finding the door, uh, so that the, the puzzles themselves got got a little bit lost in translation. But I usually make those for fun. Um, I've been much more focused as a creator uh, in the ARG space over the last yes. few years. And then I still do as many escape rooms and, and, and treasure hunts and things like that as possible. Uh, nine times out of ten, if there's any kind of competitive or gaming element, I am jumping to get there. <laughs> uh, we went to a place last night called Activate Games down in Louisville. Um, and I, it was an incredible experience. It was like Chuck E. Cheese for adults. It's like this place that has... 13 different rooms and each one of those has a number of games and uh, it's like a bunch of physical slash mental activities i think probably something closer to the realm of like a, a five wits um which i haven't been able to attend but i've heard a lot about uh so basically if there's like flashing lights and and puzzles to solve i'm i'm gonna be there that's amazing i have to go back okay i'm so sorry i have to go back to the sorry. dyson thing again because that's yeah. like just wows me do you know what their end goal was with that like so supposedly the the idea was that they were trying to find people that were again like people who thought differently about puzzles and uh i guess in particular how to solve things and and very design based so um as I got runner up, uh, I, I had a phone call with a couple of people that had put it on and I had some of the same conversations with them. I was like, you know, what were you looking for here? What was the plan? And they were like, oh, you know, we're trying to find uh, new engineers. And I was like, I am, I am not an engineer. I, I have no idea. I was like, if you put a puzzle in front of me, I'll solve it. But engineer, as as, like, fun engineer. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that, that I'm all about. And I, and I know that yeah. their, their stated intent was to um, try to find people, I think, that were what they believed to be the ideal employees they were looking for. And I had a, a pretty lengthy conversation with them where I was like, look, you, you can probably do that, but I have a feeling in this space, you're going to find puzzlers and puzzlers have this unique ability to solve anything that, that has nothing to do with, you know, their, uh, yeah. their training or their education. Uh, I would, I would take on anything. Um, yeah. this is actually how I got involved with Red Bull as well. So, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple of years, I think it was a couple of years after the, the Dyson experience, um, my contact that I'd made through Dyson had uh, reached out and said, oh, I, know, I, think, I think Red Bull's doing something along these lines. So I was like, oh, I'll check it out. And Red Bull had just started their Mind Gamers yeah. uh, division, which was, I think, trying to do for like STEM, uh, what traditional Red Bull had done for extreme sports. Mm-hmm. And I think the first thing was this collaboration with the the Mind Gamers movie, which was just a wild ride. Uh, definitely <laughs> worth still checking out. I haven't seen it, but point. I'd like to. Yeah. I am. I am not going to explicitly recommend that you watch it. However, it is uh, it is quite the experience to check out. So uh, probably worth it. But they did a similar thing where it was a, a series of puzzles that were loosely tied to the movie, um, all through like digital interfaces. And it was a ton of fun. And that got me following the the mind gamers group in general. And also my my work had picked up on the idea that I was really into these. And they were obviously looking at it from a branding perspective. You know, if, if companies like Red Bull are doing these puzzles and experiences with things like a movie, what are the ways in which, you know, some of the brands we work with could potentially benefit from these kinds of interactions? So I was looking into these things. And then I think the next one that Red Bull had launched was the Quantum Physics Challenge. And my work was like, hey, you should write up on that. And I was like, cool, I actually have a passing interest in quantum physics. Uh, 
So I wrote an article on LinkedIn about this experience in particular. I was like, this is, you know, it's kind of novel and that uh, this is not the back of your cereal box puzzle that's just going to, you know, take a couple of minutes while you're finishing your Wheaties. This was a pretty in-depth expectation of Red Bull to be like, hey, do we have, you know, people in our, our cohort that can do things like uh, explain quantum entanglement? And I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. So I wrote the article and then I was like, you know what? I wonder how many people think this is too far and that they're not able to do this because they're not quantum physicists. But again, as a puzzler, I was like, yeah, give it a shot. Uh, so I, I put together a, a, you know, my version of a video explainer of, of a Bell's test, um, which is basically a way to identify whether or not you're achieving quantum entanglement. And, oh. and then I went back on about my day, you know, and did everything else that I would be doing. And I, I heard back from them a couple of weeks later and they were like, Hey, uh, we loved your submission. How would you like to go to Austria and intern for two weeks at the Vienna Center for Quantum Research? Oh my god! And I was like, okay, this is this is a real thing. So I got to I got to go entangle particles in Vienna, which is a a bonkers statement. That's, that's uh, incredible. Yeah, it was, it was it was amazing. Uh, one of my favorite experiences, and that also got me just absolutely hyped about this. So. Um, wow. that led to a, 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 you know, a bigger relationship with Red Bull, um, was part of the wildcard team for their escape room world championships. Uh, so they sent us off to London for those we did, did okay. We got 10th, which, uh, I think we were very excited about, uh, but also, you know, while we were there, uh, we met a ton of amazing people from around the world and we were staying in the ACE hotel in London and, uh, I had had a couple of Red Bull based cocktails at one of their happy hours and I got a little uh, antsy and I was like, it's like, we, we could do this. I was like, you know what? I, I bet I could make an escape room tonight. I was going to say, of like yeah. Red Bull. Yeah. Probably and, and gave you those wings. Rich, Rich Bragg, who I'm sure a lot of people here will know, was like, I bet, uh, do it. I was like, oh, uh, okay. And he was like, I will just, he was like, I'll fund it. He was like, you, you go make a, an escape room right here in like the next 24 hours and I got you. And I was like, done. Let's do this. So, <laughs> Red Bull uh, fueled, like, vendor creating yeah. escape rooms. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I want to say I went to bed at some early hours in the morning, and my alarm goes off the next day, like four hours later. And I had set an alarm that said, you need to build an escape room. And I woke up to this, and I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting so it's like all right so I, I start running the streets of london and i'm looking for a shop that'll sell anything that i could use as like a basic escape room uh experience so i'm, I'm trying to find locks or boxes or anything uh turns out london does it right nothing is open you know they were like it's nine in the morning on a saturday you should not be trying to find hardware and power tools um so it's like okay london gonna... is, a, is a city that does sleep in... yeah, yeah. which is correct i don't know what i was doing so i was like okay can't can't get a hold of any of these things maybe i'll make a city game and at this point i had i had already run my first citywide arg here in cincinnati so i had a bit of a, a formula in mind of how to make a game like around the city uh, but again, you know, I was like, I had set this absurd time limit on myself for like 24 hours. So by the time I spent six hours scouring the city and finding everything, I was like, you know, the people on these other teams from the other countries, we've got things to do. Like Red Bull had us, you know, going around and doing events and activities and we all had our time right. in the actual escape room space. So by the time that I was going to get close enough to be done, it was going to be dark outside. So I was like, all right, I can't do that either. 
I was like, what do I have? And I was like, I have the Ace Hotel. So don't tell the Ace Hotel this. Uh, but I ended up building a game inside the hotel that we were all staying at. Oh, my goodness. And at this point, I was like, what have I got? So I had three decks of cards and three different colored Sharpies and the hotel. Um, so made a, <laughs> made a pretty complex game out of just those materials. And then we had different countries' teams sign up for slots. And what? at uh... their slot, you know, they we would... I would go out and drop one of these encoded decks of cards onto their uh, the mat in front of their door and then like knock and run away real quick and then they'd come out and find this deck and you know they had x x amount of time to to solve these puzzles that I kind of built into the hotel itself um, which led to some interesting stories uh, but it it also kind of reinforced in me the sense of like I'm I'm not I'm not like a high stakes high tech creator uh, I, I've traditionally been really scrappy. You know, my first escape room had a budget of like 20 bucks and I think right. some part of that has embedded itself in my memory. So, um, I, I love that creation aspect, but so much of it has been, okay, what can I do with, with like nothing and, and no, no access to anything. Well, uh, even just the environment around you, right? Like yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very, that could also be like, that's integrated into ARGs a lot. And absolutely. And that's, yeah. I've, I've done online and, and international things and I enjoy them. Um, I've been really fortunate to, to do some really neat things. Uh, Rose Holman is to technology. Um, I've done a piece for them earlier in the pandemic where they were like, okay, we're a college. We're trying to get our students familiar with our campus and our, our, our mindset and how we work, but we can't have people coming to our campus from all over the world. There's a right. lockdown. Uh, so I, I did a piece with them that was uh, utilizing a lot of their school's um, online tools and resources uh, to create a puzzle hunt to give their incoming students uh, a chance to get to know them a little better. So, you know, we had a, a number station built into their uh, university radio um, Oh, had, wow. <laughs> had a piece inside their their digital newspaper, uh, so it was like, okay, you know, I'm looking at this particular institution. Here are the externally facing uh, avenues they have to to communicate with their students. How can we work some puzzles and some experiences into here that'll be like intriguing uh, and also kind of fun and and give the kids a way to at least see a little bit of what that institution has to offer without being able to be there. Yeah, it's like they say, you know, like limitations. Uh, you know, actually encourage more creativity Absolutely. in that sense, right? Live by it. When you were saying earlier that, like, you know, you you went on a, a Red Bull bender and, and promised to make an escape room. <laughs> At first yeah. I thought when you woke up the next morning, I thought, like, you somehow had created it in the night. And I just imagined, like, some, <laughs> you know – blackout episode where instead of waking up to like bottles around the room or something you just wake up to like notes of puzzles and black lights everywhere yeah <laughs> like, like a puzzler's <laughs> memento yeah <laughs> all right that's incredible so um yeah so what what i was hoping to to talk with you about here today like you say you were very passionate about puzzles and it was funny because like part of what i wanted to part of the reason i wanted to talk about ciphers is i've been discovering more about puzzle types, cipher types, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, you see the usual ones in escape rooms. Like there's always some, there's, you, you know, you'll see more things like Morse code. You'll see oh. things like, um, oh, what's another one? Like pig pen yeah, is a yeah. common, is a common one. You know, there's so, there's so much out there. And at first I thought that this topic would be like, let's talk about the different ciphers and see like how they could possibly fit into escape rooms. And then as I was like reading more, I'm like, they can't. Okay. <laughs> um, that's okay though. But even as, but as, 
take home puzzle games, especially I feel like mm-hmm. are they're they've kind of exploded right now. And, oh, yeah. um, and there's definitely more like lengthy type ciphers in there. Like the whole, like one of the whole points is that it takes you some time to like figure out what it is and how to decode it. And then like, you know, methodically go through it, which is just not what a traditional escape room is for, but I figure it's still worth talking about because there's some fun ones out there and, uh, and you know, it, it could help inspire some puzzle designers out there or could, uh, you know, it could just get people researching more. I just know that there's like tons of stuff out there that I'm still discovering. Like, really? There's a cipher for that too? <laughs> like you can encode things in this? Oh my gosh. Oh, so yeah. that's what I'm hoping to talk about today. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So we don't really have a structure for this. I was just kind of like, let's talk about ciphers. And uh, <laughs> and I think you, you might have a list of some things that you like. I know that one of the ones that I discovered uh, early through a couple of things i know errol designed a puzzle like this at one point and i know i discovered it in a take-home one is the uh is the baconian cipher that yeah. was <laughs> that was one that actually kind of um launched this uh launched this because i was like wow this is this is insane but it seems to be used quite a bit now yeah yeah uh Big fan of the Baconian cipher, especially because of the ways that in which it can be um, shown that aren't just a, a traditional series of numbers or a series of numbers or letters, right? So, um, yeah. for those unfamiliar, the Baconian cipher is uh, it's kind of a, a, a binary cipher in that there are basically two different aspects um, that are then encoded into something larger. Uh, I think. As an example, one of the most common versions is if you were to encounter a sentence that has some lowercase and some uh, uppercase letters outside of the places where you usually find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that In that case, you, you only have your binary. Everything is either uppercase or lowercase. And then you'll break those down into uh, groupings of five. So if you had the word tangy, sorry, I'm looking at my... Uh, <laughs> next to me, you know, if it's lowercase t, uppercase a, lowercase n, lowercase g, uppercase y, um, you would have like an a b a a b, and yeah. then you would then use that to uh, to translate into the, the the predisposed letter, and then you would get your final um, solve from that. Uh, but there are some really cool instances of this where, uh, so are you familiar with the William Friedman tombstone? Uh, no, I'm not. Please do. Okay, tell me. so uh, I, uh, it's been a while since I've I've read up on this. Um, Friedman was, I believe, part of the uh, a, a code breaking group in one of the world wars. Uh, it, regardless, um, <clears throat> his tombstone has the phrase "knowledge is power" on the bottom of it, and this has been there for a very, very long time. And people were just like, "Oh, that's a that's a totally reasonable quote to have on a tombstone from someone who was largely involved in ciphers." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until I think decades later that someone realized that it was actually a Baconian cipher. Uh, it's, oh. it's a little tough to even notice. So in this case, instead of something like upper and lowercase letters, it was serif and non-serif fonts. 
Really? Uh, Wow. um, For anyone not familiar with fonts, uh, first off, congratulations. You probably don't work in the design world. Uh, I stare at fonts way too often. Uh, I have graphic designer friends, and I hear a lot of (laughs) font rants. uh, Totally. totally. (laughs) Um, So Sarah font would be one where the letters have like a little uh, little, like line or kind of flourish on the end of them. And uh, and a uh, sans serif font would be one where it's basically just like straight lines. and in this one, the Knowledge is Power had serifs on some of the letters. Uh, and Knowledge is Power, I think, is a 16-letter phrase, so the last letter didn't matter. But if you did the serifs versus non-serifs on the first 15 letters of Knowledge is Power, you get three groupings of five, and those spelled out WFF. So it was just his initials. Uh, William okay. F. Friedman. Um, but it was the kind of thing where no one had even noticed that because it was so subtle. You know, Whereas with a lot of other traditional ciphers that you'll find in escape room, it's usually a big jumble of letters that you can't read right. so that someone is immediately indicated this is something that needs to be solved. Um, but my, my, my last little rant on Friedman, he had a picture on his desk from the graduating class of one of the cipher groups. And it's, it's, a, it's a throng of people, right? It's like three different rows of probably 50-ish people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone in the picture is either facing forward or to the side. And it's oh. not terribly noticeable. I think the person in the very center is like has their full body facing to one side, but everyone else just has their head kind of askew. And it looks like just a big group of people together. It, however, was also a Baconian cipher. Uh, and it, tra- it translated to knowledge is power by looking at the people who are facing Jeez. forward versus to the side and then translating those into the ABAB. Oh, my God. That's – man – that's like next level, next level stuff. Where it's like he's just doing it for the fun of it. It's, it's just yeah. not telling anybody. Not it's like let's just see if they notice. And, and that's, oh that's one of the things I love about that is that it's not evident. You know that that photo was supposed to be on his desk his entire career, and I think about how many people walked right by it and never noticed. Same with his tombstone. Yeah. So this is a thing where, especially when you're talking about something like an escape room versus a an yeah. at home hunt or, or something like a treasure hunt, which will have usually I think a more uh, a more hardcore audience than than the average yes. escape room that might get some foot traffic downtown. You can kind of get away with those more abstract and obtuse uh, utilizations of things like ciphers. Whereas in an escape room, you kind of need to do a little bit of hand holding. Uh, yes, and it, and it's also weird because it it really brings to light the familiarity aspect of it. So yeah, pig pen's a great example. Seeing pig pen in an escape room. If you've never seen it before, it is this totally foreign concept. Oh, absolutely. And then you have a series of ahas where you might find, oh, okay, this means this. And somewhere else in the room, you'll find a translation for part of it. Yeah. Um, But also for old hat people, uh, I walk into an escape room now and you see Pigpen. You're like, oh, it's Pigpen. Yeah, okay, you so might even start to be like, "Oh man, it's because you've seen it so often." Yeah, I, I, I feel like with with pig with something like Pigpen, it might be easier to, uh, it might be quicker to solve. Like if you when you when you because usually there's like a sheet of paper somewhere in the room that will give yes. you the the codes, right? Um, whereas it might take a bit longer with something like uh, Baconian because it it is a bit more like. I know that the one of the signposts that I've seen to to indicate that it's that is that there's you know there might be um, mention of Sir Francis uh, Sir Francis Bacon, which oh, yeah. is the is who is the creator. It was like it's an old one too. It was created back in like the 1600s, mm-hmm. and um, but or that it looks 
a little bit odder because sometimes there's a period. Uh, I think there's a period like indicating mm. where the message is contained within. So like okay, there's yeah. a period at the beginning and then you notice the period at the end doesn't end at the actual <laughs> sentence. It ends like in the middle of a word and you're like, huh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, um, right. But I know that the process of it might be a little bit more tedious uh, mm-hmm. because you're thinking, because like first you have to get the, the actual like, all right, is this A, B, B, A, B? And then you have to actually look at the grid to see, or you have to actually look at the uh, translation to see what that what letter that translates to. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the most important parts when you're considering how to utilize a cipher as a creator is at some point, even if your participant has all of this information, are they going to enjoy the actual solve? Is it going to be yeah. too much tedium to sit there and do this? I've done things with Morse code where, I was like, okay, this is correct. It's right. And then I play <laughs> yeah. tested it and they've been like, well, yeah, it's not wrong, but it's pretty boring. <laughs> like it's, oh, it's not just... necessarily enjoyable to slog through those long iterations of substitution ciphers. So you always have to keep in mind it's it whether or not it's correct or even thematic, is it too much? You know, is it going to take someone yeah. out of the 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 consistent enjoyment they're having when they need to sit down and you gotta put somebody in the corner with a pencil to just kind of slog through it? Yeah, exactly. I think the length of the message definitely factors into that. And I know that we just did a Morse code one in a video game, which is where you have all the time in the world. But we were like yelling at the screen by the end because (laughs) they wanted to make it super realistic. So you you uh, first you had to like tap out the or first you had to figure out what message you wanted to send and so i was like all right i'd like to send this and i was expecting the game to be like okay and it would do the dots and dashes for us it was like no now you've selected the words you want to do now you have to tap out the code and i'm like (laughs) okay at first we had to like figure out exactly how long to hold the button for the dash and then then the dot and then by the time we did that i was like all right we did it and they're like oh but you didn't say over and i'm like oh fine i will say (laughs) over and then they you know we did that and then it sends a message back and i'm like great we got a message back and oh no they're responding but now you have to translate it and i'm like Ah, fine and we did this like it it was like a 25 minute sequence of just doing this and i'm like god i'm glad that we got past this technology because <laughs> yeah, I would yeah. not want to be a wireless operator. <laughs> and I think you know the 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 way in which you utilize those things also makes a big difference. So mm-hmm. uh, I recently launched my newest ARG, which is out of a vending machine. Um, so I uh-huh. <laughs> I just put a vending machine into the market downtown here, and it vends out a deck of cards that has a series of puzzles that will send you around the city to interact with some. Uh, some people and some things and then there's an online component and whatnot um but i do have a rather lengthy morse code puzzle involved but it is not part of the experience it's on the vending machine itself so this is is no way necessary like it's not the kind of thing that i want every person to go through but it's something where if there's someone who's really into this i want them to be able to to be able to go a little farther um where you can self-identify. You know, you can be like, yeah. I like going around the city and I'm looking for something to do on a Saturday. I might yeah. do this. And then there's other people that are like, well, I like all that, but I also like, I'm a completionist or I want to do all the additional challenges. <laughs> so uh, the sides of the vending machine have uh, a much lengthier, like Morse code in the background with another hidden message on it. Oh, I think, I think it's about expectations, right? If they could mm-hmm. see the length of the Morse code, it's like, all right, I'm going to put my effort into this. Yeah. Even though <laughs> I don't, I don't need it. Um, yeah. What are what are some what are some of your other favorites uh, in terms of ciphers that you've seen? Uh, so 
a lot of the the, the square esque ciphers. Um, I will say, I the the part about like expectation is is the biggest issue with so many of these. Oh, yeah. uh, so we did a a treasure hunt last year that included a visionaire cipher, uh, but it was it was oh, yeah. just an open treasure hunt for the whole city of Cincinnati, and it was a little pricey to join, uh, but there was a large cash prize for it. And I think one of the things that they were counting on was that people didn't know what a visionaire cipher was because for the general public, that's a, that's a much deeper um, yes. cipher than, than you might find in, in you know, your everyday experiences. Uh, but we have a pretty well-versed team. And on day one, we were like, uh, okay, this is a visionaire cipher. Um, so by the time they got to the end of the five-day experience, they released that final piece where you were able to kind of put the rest of the cipher together. A lot of people had to figure out what it was and then start decrypting it, whereas we were 99% of the way there and just and just jammed it in. So in terms of like my favorites, I kind of look at a lot of them very similarly. Like if I'm looking at a, a Visionaire or a Playfair or... You know, one of these ones that requires a, a pretty extensive decryption, it's it's going to be a slog, and it's going to be like <laughs> it's going to be one of those things where even if you know exactly how to do it and what to do, half of the time is going to be spent just going through the the means of actually putting it together. And, so yeah, just to interrupt you here for a sec, yeah, so no, vision, a visionaire cipher is one uh, I believe that it uses like a, a grid of letters mm-hmm. and a and a key to encrypt those. Uh, a sentence, I think, right? I th- yeah, yeah, usually. I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will say one of the ones that I, I like that's in that realm is, is Playfair. Playfair. Um, so the Playfair cipher is, uh, it's another grid-based cipher, but it has like a movement aspect to it. Um, so oh, instead of a lot of these where, with a lot of grid-based ciphers, you know, you'll have a five-by-five five block that is usually 25 letters out of the 26-letter English alphabet, and they'll either omit or double up on one of the letters. And then you're just trying to find out how to get to that point in the grid. So a lot of times it's an X and a Y coordinate that's encoded as a different series of letters where once you know the the key and that text, you just find your row, find your column, that's the letter you're looking for. And then you just go through the process of filling each of those out. Playfair has a neat little addition to it where once you have your five by five grid, it's not just about finding the row and the column and, and matching that up, that, that plot. Uh, there's a series of kind of game style rules where, okay, if the two letters you're looking, it's, it's uh, sets of two letters. So if the two letters you're looking at are in the same column, you have to shift them in a specific way. If they're in the same row, you have to shift them in a different way. If they're in different rows, you have to shift them in a different way. And what I like about that is that it's a cipher where when you get to the second part, right, when you know what the cipher is and you have all the information, it feels less like you're just plugging in the, the correct pieces. And it feels a little more like you're playing a little mini game within that puzzle uh, to get to that information. Now, again, this is not the kind of thing that I would recommend for an escape room. <laughs> uh, because yeah. like, like a lot of the ciphers that are worth their salt, it's a lot of extra work. Uh, yeah. But I think the payoff is much better in something maybe closer to a to a tabletop but even then it's a little heavier but i think this is one that's bigger in like the the treasure hunt world where people are willing to put more effort and more time in because the payoff is potentially bigger down the line wow yeah i'm just i'm just looking at it now and uh 
Yeah, it looks intense. It, it reminds me too. I think I like up until a, a few years ago, I'd I'd been spoiled with things like video games where if they had something like that built into the game, if it, even if it was like a bigger puzzle game like like Mist or something, there would be something built into the coding where you could like interact with the letters and switch them around and stuff. And, (laughs) and uh, once I got into the puzzle hunt world, like I know, I even know like when Errol came out with his first puzzles and stuff, I'm like, well, how am I supposed to shift these? And he's like, (laughs) well, you can open up an Excel document. Like what do I have to do this by myself? By hand? What? <laughs> I've gotten a lot more used to it, but Excel has become my friend. But yeah, it's 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 when it's that much more manual, it's it's uh, you mm-hmm. really appreciate the the effort game designers might do or app designers might have to uh to do that. Uh, no, I, I'm the same way. I, I I fought tooth and nail against Excel. I do like Excel. I'm just not very good at it uh, in my in my day to day life in you know in my real world job. But it it probably spends more time open when I'm solving uh, a hunt than it does when I should be using it properly at work. Well, that's, that's the beauty of it, right? You can have an Excel document open. It's like, yeah, it's work. Because it's Excel. <laughs> <And I get laughs> Not it. realizing that all those letters and numbers sitting there have nothing to do with your day job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, it looks, it looks intense. Yeah, yeah, I think when we're talking about Cypress in particular, there is that big dividing line between the ones that are more interesting and more intense, and then the ones that are more accessible, which are usually some variant of a, a more simple substitution cipher. Um, right. So I had mentioned earlier the, the thing I did for Rose Holman. Uh, part of the idea there was to get people who, to get students that were incoming that had never met and would not meet until day one of classes mm-hmm. to be able to interact slightly. So I used the substitution cipher for um, one of the later aspects of that experience. And I, I just created a random series of uh, symbols. You know, in this yeah. case, it doesn't really matter what they are. Uh, but I divided it out. So everyone got the encrypted text, but each individual only got one piece of what that uh, substitution cipher was. Mm-hmm. So Billy maybe got uh, the symbol for the letter A, and Vicky got the symbol for the letter W. And okay. then inside of the Discord that they were all using to help solve some of this stuff, uh, they needed to work together to figure out, okay, who's got this one? Who's got this one? And even that just fostered some semblance of, you know, a bit of communication. Um, mm-hmm. So I think one of the important things when you're looking at ciphers inside of escape rooms is that it probably needs to be something closer to a substitution cipher to be yeah. manageable enough for the average individual to uh, to work through. So knowing that, it's trying to find an interesting way to introduce them to it rather than just having basically what is an A through Z on one sheet of paper and yeah. then whatever the jumbled text is on the other sheet of paper. Um, <laughs> I think right now we've got a, a, a semi-interesting iteration of this in the Batman ARG. Okay. So the new oh, Batman movie uh, is coming out shortly, which I'm super excited about because I'm a massive uh, Robert Pattinson <laughs> fan. But um, they have, they're using a, a, a substitution cipher in the ARG that they're producing for that. And what they didn't do was give you all the information to solve it. Um, there were, I think, predominantly in world, in real world signage um, where this came out first. I could be wrong about that. Um, <clears throat> where they would have just a series of glyphs at the bottom of the, the sign that you might find in like a movie theater. 
Right, um, and those glyphs might represent letters. That absolutely. Was, yeah. Uh, but it's not going to give you the whole thing, and they've nope. only been releasing parts of it. I think as of today, and we're in like late February, the whole alphabet is still not known. Um, but they've basically released, I think the first bit had maybe eight letters uh, and the ability to solve them. So then the next bit would have like 15 letters, but it would reuse a lot of those original eight. Yeah. So that you can kind of cryptogram your way through, okay, if we know some of these, we can figure out the rest of these. And then right. people online have been slowly putting together what that alphabet looks like. So that iterated uh, distribution where you're only getting a few additional letters at a time and every time those come out, you're also not giving the answer, but you have enough information to deduce what they are, helps right. keep people involved and, and interested as this goes on. As opposed to if they just gave you the entire you know, crib sheet at the beginning, I think it's a lot harder to keep people's attention because they feel like, you know, there's no bit of discovery that's happening right. as each one of these comes out. You might find out what the sentence is, but it's just as fun to be like, oh, can somebody just tell me what this is? Like, I know the information. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, that's true. It is kind of overwhelming to look at an entire alphabet of like symbols versus like getting kind of fed them one mm -hmm. at a time. Or, and as an example, I guess if you saw, for instance, uh, if you had figured out the glyph for B and the glyph for T and you had a word that was like B blank blank T and the, it was two similar glyphs in the middle, yeah. uh, like two of the same glyphs in the middle. You're like, well, I don't they haven't <laughs> given me that information, but it might be boot. It might be beat. Like you'd start to try and, and logic your way to that answer, because even though even if you don't have all of the information in front of yeah. you. Yeah. 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 We, we do that. <laughs> that's cool yeah substitution ciphers are probably the easiest ones to use in escape rooms and yeah and i think you know the other one that we probably haven't mentioned is the caesar shift or oh yeah routine, you know yeah. so that, that's like everybody's play school is my first substitution cipher uh you know this is your i think this was the was this what they used in a christmas story the drink more oval team Oh, that was like that was the the disc, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was the Dakota ring. That that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's now Birdie's disc. Uh, yeah, the Alberti disc is, but it's the same concept, right? You have to just absolutely, shift yeah. it over. In all of these cases, it's like okay, we've we've replaced one thing with another thing. That relationship is always going to be the same. You know, if if an A yeah. means an L here, it's going to mean an L later. Um, and I think again the. The interesting thing that you can do with substitution ciphers is just the implementation. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, a lot of those are going to be the same in the way that they actually work out. Uh, but giving someone a neat way to do it, I think, helps improve that experience. So like, even even something like a decoder ring. A decoder yeah. ring is infinitely cooler than two pieces of paper that have the strings of letters written on them. That is very true. We When, when we did our train event, we had these Alberti discs that we laser cut. Um, and so bummed I missed that. I heard about that train event a few years ago, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm I know. It's the topic that will never die with us, but we, um, <laughs> but yeah, one of the things was like, yeah, it was very cool for players to receive that. They really liked it. And the original idea was that they would take it home with them as a souvenir. Uh, mm. but, um, then we realized it took like eight hours to like do one disc. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we we're like, actually, we got to take it back for the other events. <laughs> yeah. One thing. Oh man. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring up one code that, uh, cause one thing with substitution ciphers, I think, 
what makes the Caesar shift easier is like you say, it's the same. Uh, if it mm. like a very basic one is like, yeah, if you say shift five, you shift all the letters yeah, five. Yeah. Right. And so a becomes E or, or whatever. And um, yeah, you don't need that second layer of memorization at the end you of the don't day. Need you the can second letter of memorization. Like, I, they might... I can count back five letters from each one of these. It'll take a little longer, but yeah. Or like there are one, yeah, there are ones that can get more complicated. I think where, you know, each, word is it has a different shift to it or each letter has a different shift to it but one of the things i one of the things that's interesting i think about the substitution ciphers is how random you could make it like if there is no sense to it um and so this is a slight spoiler for the cryptex scent of 2021 so actually it is a spoiler (laughs) so if you haven't played it and you want to play that one and catch up for the cryptex on 2022 this year um you know, you you sk- it's amazing. It was my second favorite cryptic song. Oh, I, I really like doing it. So I, I wanted to bring up my my puzzle that happened during it. I didn't design the puzzle. I designed the the game and and Dan Egner um helped me with the the tougher puzzle. It was like I did a baby's first puzzle design where I like did one little gate little one little puzzle within the game. Uh but then there's the hidden puzzle. So Dan Egner did the mm-hmm. hidden puzzle and he wanted to have it narratively narratively tie in with my story. And my story involved, you know, a ghost of somebody from 1812, well the war of 1812. And so he's like, were there were there codes being used at that time? And there oh, yeah. was. Yeah. And it's very little known, but it's called the Culper Code. Yep. And um, I remember it- this one. <laughs> this and point. The, st- the sadistic person in me um, who wanted who wanted the puzzle hunters to be brought down a peg or two was actually kind <laughs> of satisfied. No, they they were fine with it, I think. But initially, they were looking for any other. Uh, what cipher this or code this could possibly be and they were trying to put logic to it and there is no logic to that code mm. it's the idea with the culprit code is that it's a series of numbers that represents words and if you don't have the key who knows like it's one of those like you you just can't solve it it's not possible to break that code unless you have the key sitting there in front of you because they mean random words and even when they mean letters like there's a way if there is no word to go along with the message you want to send you could spell it out but even that has this random substitution cipher that has no no logic or or meaning to it somebody just picked letters it's like i don't know a is equal to f m is equal to l sure but i kind of liked it because it did fit narratively and uh it just felt like oh man i feel bad for them because it's it was like so it was so little known that um i don't know what was your experience with that one were you able to Uh, to i will say i think that one took us longer than anything else i can remember um it was also (laughs) when we were kicking ourselves because afterwards we were like you know several people had been like culper that sounds familiar. Anyway, here's something shiny. And, and it <laughs> yeah. took us far too long to get back to it. Um, but it was awesome. That's one of the neat things, though, is that I, I do the Cryptex hunt usually with a, a different group that I've done a lot of other things with. And we have a, a good representation of people from all over the puzzle experience spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it's always neat when people find something that also has some kind of historical reference, right? Like, this is the moment that everybody has that, like, national, national treasure feel where not not only is this something that's like neat and it's fun to solve, but it also has that, that referent where it's like, it has some depth and some history to it that I think resonates with a lot of people really well. 
yeah, no, I, I enjoy it. There, I was saying it on Errol's, a comment on Errol's post this morning. Just, it's uh, it's my Olympics, really. I like just watching it. I, I've no, I beta tested the ones this year, and I'm excited to see how people solve them. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we're excited but, to jump in on Monday. Yeah, um, yeah. So for those who are listening, this will be released after the Cryptex hunt begins for 2022, but before it finishes. So you have until the end of March to um, to submit. And if you do that, then you will be, I, th- I think, um, you'll be eligible for the second prize if you happen to uh, submit, uh, solve the whole thing within the first 10 days of it, like the first official 10 days, then you're submitted for the draw for the first prize. So that's that's how it's working this year, I think. Anyway, that was the the plug for the Cryptex hunt. Yeah, uh, no, I, would, <laughs> I would also love to plug that. I um, the, the Cryptex hunt was my first. So puzzle hunts were the probably the most recent foray for me in terms of like the escape rooms and treasure hunts and, and ARGs mm-hmm. in this world. And the Cryptex hunt was the best opportunity that I could have gotten in on. It, it's they're like they're approachable, but they're still very challenging. But yes. they are the ones that I recommend to anyone that is interested in this. I did my first MIT mystery hunt this year and it is a humbling experience. <laughs> so uh, that is what I have heard. They have like teams of a hundred and things like that. Where oh yeah, my god, our team has I think seventy six, seventy to eighty, Jeez, something like that. And gosh. Uh, they were great. Shout out the team left out second place this year. Um, uh, not not that I helped a whole lot at all. Uh, there were that that is definitely one where there were things that I saw and I would look at it for an hour and I'd be like, okay. Yep, those are like, still numbers. Yeah, yeah, nothing. And then somebody <laughs> would walk in. My, my favorite puzzle that I saw, uh, myself and a couple of individuals looked at it for probably about an hour. And we were looking at chess pieces and we were like, uh, you know, like we're all, we're all pretty well versed in chess, just not getting there. Can't, can't seem to do it. And then a few hours later, someone came in and was like, oh, this isn't chess. And of course, you're looking at chess boards with chess pieces. And of course, it's not chess. Uh, <laughs> but it was all because there were two words in the description that hinted that it was a different kind of puzzle that was being re-envisioned as chess boards. Um, there were just so many ahas involved that you really gotta, you gotta be familiar. It feels like yeah. someone has to be familiar with everything to get very far. But the yeah. Cryptex hunt has consistently been one where for everyone's first hunt, it it's should a, be a it's hunt. a good, it's a good entry level kind of, kind of experience. Absolutely. Kind of shifting gears a bit. So we've talked about puzzle hunts, but you were mentioning treasure hunts earlier. And yeah. uh, <laughs> so what, I mean, I guess I should ask, what is the main difference between a treasure hunt and say a puzzle hunt? Because it sounds like they both involve puzzles. Is it the end goal that that mm. mostly changes? Or? Uh, I would say for the average individual, yes. Uh, the treasure hunts that I have been involved with have had very large prizes. Whereas okay. most of the, the puzzle hunts are, are definitely more like for the community and for the experience. Yeah. And, you know, not the, not the shake a stick at some of the, the awards from some of those, especially like a Justin Nevins Cryptex. Come on. Like that is, that is top oh, notch. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's top notch um, right there. <laughs> but it's also top notch within the community. You know, if I said yeah. Justin Nevins Cryptex to my neighbor, they don't know what that is. But if right. I said a large cash amount, that means something different. But, you know, in the community, um, some of those things, and especially the MIT mystery hunt, the, the prize for winning that is brutal. You know, you got to create yeah. next year. Uh, <laughs> you got to create next year. Yeah. It carries so much meaning within that community that it's, it's absolutely yeah. worth it. 
Um, the treasure hunts that I had gotten involved in, I, I've been familiar with a lot of them just through research on, on creating, especially ARGs. And my favorite kinds of ARGs to create are city-based. So the one that I've recently launched is only in Cincinnati currently. I'm looking to expand to a couple of the cities this year, but mm-hmm. I like having everything tied to a place, something that gets people outside of their homes and, and around the city to see things they wouldn't necessarily see before. So I had looked into treasure hunts as some inspirations for a lot of that. And had never really gotten into them because a lot of them were were old. You know, I love The Secret, but The Secret was released 40 years ago. And of the 12 original casts, three have been found now. And one of them was like two years ago. Okay, have so, you really done here, dumb here? What's The Secret? Oh, I know The I Secret is so like sorry. the book thing. Um, totally different than that one. Yeah, not, <laughs> yes. not that one at all. Yeah. Um, so The Secret was, so uh, we'll do a, a quick little history here. Um, in, the, I think, the late 70s, uh, Masquerade was released, which was kind of one of the first big what they call armchair treasure hunts, where you know okay. you can buy a book and it's got clues that lead to a, a place where something is buried, and then you go out and you dig it up and you bury it. Yeah, so so Masquerade's definitely worth looking into. It's one of the first like bigger armchair treasure hunts, um, and and like I said, enough scandals to keep you interested, even if you're not necessarily a huge treasure hunt uh, enthusiast. Um, then the Secret came out in uh, the early '80s, and it was 12 paintings paired with 12 verses. Um, there was more to it, but you can look into that if you're interested. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you can if you can match up the proper painting with the proper verse, the imagery in the painting and the words in the verse will lead you to a cask that is buried somewhere in the U.S. Oh. Uh, well, potentially the U.S. There may or may not be one in Canada, but um, <laughs> so so this was a, a pretty big thing. Uh, he. Well, some people think he expected to be solved quickly, some don't, blah, blah, blah. But he releases this in the early 80s. One of them is found fairly quickly. Um, and then it goes quiet for years and years. And then uh, in the early 2000s, I believe, the second one was found and dug up. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, the creator, Byron Price, tragically died in a car crash. Um, Following that, there was one more found about two years ago. And if you're interested, there's some good Expedition Unknown episodes uh, of the television show that that cover the secret pretty in-depth. But, you know, when I started learning about this, it was after that. So at this point, there's nine of these left. They've been in the ground for 40 years. Everything has changed since then. No one knows where they are, supposedly. Like, even the the solutions went away with price. Um, but one of the treasure hunts that I'm working on right now is a tribute to that hunt. Uh, and I believe we have a very good solve for it. Um, however, it is buried in a place where, if we're correct, you are not allowed to dig. And because I do a lot of work with public parks and cities, oh. I don't really have any interest in making them angry. So uh, kind of stepped away from that one. Um, but the first big one, the one that kind of got uh, me into this was... Um, I think two years ago here in Cincinnati, there was just a treasure hunt that they put on with a mm-hmm. $25,000 prize, wow. which is insane. And again, especially in Ohio, uh, where we don't necessarily <laughs> have a huge cohort of people that are well-versed in this or people with a lot of experience or opportunities to take part in these. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was in the city. So like, you know, you already know the city. It's in, you know, you don't have to travel far for it. And this was the one that uh, kind of their big reveal was the Visionaire Cipher. Um, but we ended up, I think it, it kicked off. There was like some lead in through the week. It kicked off on Friday night. And then by Sunday morning, no, Saturday morning, um, we had retrieved this box, which was hidden inside the, a hollowed out tree in one of the parks around here. Uh, oh. And 
I will say that like had we had we won our first big treasure hunt, it would have been exciting. But winning one with that kind of cash prize on it uh, also made us <laughs> even more excited. So a few months later, there was another one down in Indiana. We were like, okay, you know, it was uh, it was my girlfriend's birthday, and she was like, I want to do a treasure hunt. So we we went out and drove out to Indiana, and uh, it was a local escape room company that had put on this treasure hunt. Right. And it was partially to celebrate the town of Fort or the city of Fort Wayne. Um, you know, it was it was definitely made to send you all around the city. You were given a treasure map mm-hmm. with some obtuse clues on it, and it did involve a lot of traveling from place to place, signposting from statues, and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. other things around town. And I think we saw that one in like forty hours, um, right. which was great, and it was awesome, and it also got us to a city and to learn about a city that we would not have elsewise. So I think that's one of the great things. And also, we also did some of the escape rooms that the company put on while they were there. Shout out to Fort Wayne Escape Rooms. They were great. Um, Nice. But I think that was part of the reason why an escape room company did it. Um, You know, they've got great games up there. And they're also, you know, a a foot traffic area. They're, They're in like the downtown area. But we would not have necessarily traveled to Fort Wayne to do some escape rooms. However, right. this was something that increased their outreach a little bit farther than it would have elsewise um, and got us to just show up in the city, uh, see things and learn things about the history that we never would have, um, which is weird because as someone who works in branding and design, we talk a lot about uh, tourism mm-hmm. and so many of the conversations I've been a part of were like, you know what we need is another bar or a new restaurant. And it's like, we've got 40 of those. I can't think of many times where I've been like, you know what I want to travel three hours to do is go to a restaurant. Um, (laughs) But things like these experiences, and and I think treasure hunts are a great example of this, is that it will get people out and to your city to see things that they might not elsewise. Um, Mm -hmm. So in terms of the difference in escape rooms and treasure hunts, part of it is I think that they're a lot more tied to the, the region. Uh, in the area, I think you know some of the mom and pop style escape rooms are usually a, a bit more um, kind of customized to the area, just because you know so many of the chains will have one or two rooms different in each location. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's you know the same across all of these places, and they're they're much more um, templated. But the treasure hunts that I've been a part of usually take a lot of aspects about the the local cultural history into play. Um, and for the armchair treasure hunts, they don't necessarily do that, but they're designed to be able to be interacted with from anywhere in the world. Uh, so you have the benefit of sitting behind your computer and especially now with Google earth, um, a lot of these are revolving around going to Google earth. You know, you can look up the, the street names that you wouldn't be able to see unless you were there in town. You can look up, um, some of the, uh, like environmental differentiations. Um, there was a big one in Utah a couple months back where um, I know part of that solve revolved around basically getting onto Google Earth and then traveling like you would in a car, but just doing it down the road on Google oh, that's Earth. Fun. <laughs> where you're interacting with waypoints and signposting and things like that. I think that's what I like. I even like about, you know, some of the take home puzzle games out there is, yeah, when it oh, gets yeah. you. When it gets when first you find out that it's either based on real history or based on a real place, mm-hmm. and you're you're actually learning a little bit more about it, and it just kind of makes me want to know more because then I'm just this dumb fact checker that's like how how much of that was true and how much of that, yeah. uh, or like you know how much of this place, um, you know, it kind of makes me want to go see the place in real life or or oh uh, same yeah you know, um, in an escape room even if you can pull out your phone 
even if they'll, they'll let you do it, a lot of times you don't want to because you are in an environment that has been designed for you. Um, this is a yes. lot like what David Spire was talking about with not enjoying um, like walkthrough books in a room. You know, if you're if you're staring at a book and it's taking you out of that designed space that you have a limited amount of time in, same with the yeah. phone. But when you're talking about something like a take-home escape game, there can be an aspect to it that is that research where you might actually enjoy getting on the computer and looking something up for a while and finding out the history of it because you're not constrained by the time that you are in an escape room. You're not missing out on the beautiful design that you might be surrounded by. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can go at your own pace. You know, I might want to just take five minutes and get a general sense of what uh, is being referenced in this book. Somebody else might want to go on a deep dive because they really, they really enjoy the history of it. So a lot of it just has to do with the time constraints of escape rooms are one of the things that I love about them. Uh, but it's also one of the things that is a, is a much bigger delimiter to their, their design capabilities in terms of what you can ask of people. Yeah. Have you seen um, some, cause I, I've seen some, I'm trying to think of if I've seen some interesting implementations of like fairly simple even like something like the substitution cipher or like what well, I've seen some horrible implementations of it. Like <laughs> when we had to decipher an alien language and the, and it was yeah. like a five paragraph long thing we had to decipher. <laughs> but um, yeah. trying to think of like, if, if I've seen one, you know, it might be a simple code or a simple cipher, but it, it, it was implemented in a way that made sense or that was kind of unique that I hadn't seen before. I can't think of one off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, not immediately. I will say, and this is maybe uh, a little bit more of a pipe dream. Um, <laughs> when I've when I've seen a lot of substitution ciphers, a lot of them are strictly iconographic. So it, it's just it's just something written on a piece of paper or written on a wall, mm. um, and it's you're dealing with the text as if you would any other text on a paper. Right. And something I'd love to see is an additional layer on a substitution cipher because, you know, I think one of the downfalls of substitution ciphers is that, is that they have to be fairly simplistic to be accessible. Yeah. But again, the way that you uh, exhibit them, I think, can be much cooler. Um, so I've seen things like uh, perspective used on pipes and shadow. You know, I've seen pretty simple yeah. PVC piping where when it's constructed in the right way and placed in a certain way and put in front of a light source in a specific way, it'll project one like image e on the equals one, one or something yeah, like that. And another yeah, and another image onto another space. Um, I think, again, if you're, if you're using a substitution cipher because it's functional and it'll get you to a hidden message in a way that is going to be approachable to the average person, one of the things that you can do is not just write it down on a piece of paper, but find a, a more interesting way to to show people you know what is going to be simple text yeah something like embedding into the environment um, absolutely embed everything or, into the environment, please. embed everything into the environment but it yeah. is especially <laughs> neat when like something you've been looking at can suddenly be seen in a different way absolutely. Uh, that yeah. you hadn't and that's kind of a cool little discovery moment that um again i can't Think of one. I'm sure I'll get like lots of examples after this. And <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure I'll email you this afternoon. Like, oh, by the way. Oh, by um, the way, this and this. And I, this. I think yep. discovery is the primary word there. I, as as a creator, that's the biggest change that I've seen in myself is that I am I am significantly less interested in trying to get people to solve something challenging, especially because since I love doing work in in space, right? I, I you know I, I by city based ARGs are, are a good example of that. I. 
am going to have significantly more foot traffic and people that aren't puzzlers that I want to bring into this. I think there are a lot of people that do a lot of this much better than I do when it comes to, to yeah. designing for the hardcore puzzlers. Um, but in designing things for the, the regular individual, discovery has been my, my goal. I'm trying yeah. to instill that sense of discovery in someone much more than that sense of having solved something difficult. And you can do it with so many simple things. Um, I think that's always a goal. And especially when we're talking about something like substitution ciphers that breaches the difference between, you know, an, an average individual who does the, not an average individual, but like someone who maybe does the crossword or the, the cryptogram in their newspaper um, yeah. and is familiar with that versus someone who's a hardcore puzzler who feels like they've seen everything in an escape room. You can yeah. still have something that reaches both of those people. And the differentiating factor can be that sense of discovery that can elevate either one of those just yeah. by showing that information in a way that feels unique or uh, enthralling rather than again, burying it behind four different layers of decryption, like you will <laughs> with, with some of these more in-depth uh, ciphers. The ones that make you feel tired. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I got it. Oh gosh. And, like, I just, no part of me is interested in that. You know, every six months I'll have a friend who will send me an article on cryptos. Um, which is the, it's a sculpture outside of the uh, CIA. Okay. Uh, in Langley, I think. Um, but, you know, this is, this is on government property. This was like a major uh, sculpture that was, was commissioned and created there. And it's not solved. I think one or two of the oh three gosh. panels are solved at this point. Um, and this is, I think, an example of, of pseudo approachable cryptography that is, uh, that is just in plain sight. Um, but it does not interest me. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there are people that are, are spending their, their, their lives on this one singular puzzle. And while I think that's very interesting, um, I think my favorite kinds of, uh, of ciphers and, and pieces of cryptography are much more the kind that you can <laughs> see and interact with and get something out of much quicker. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at photos of it now. Yeah. It's, oh, it's sorry. Uh, for, for anyone interested in, in these kinds of things in general, I want to shout out just a couple of names to go Google. One of them is Kryptos, K-R-Y-P-T-O-S. Very cool. Uh, the Voynich Manuscript, um, which may or may not be a hoax, but is oh. several centuries old uh, and a gorgeous piece of art regardless. But it's uh, filled with what may or may not be some kind of actual text. Um, but a really cool early example. Uh, and in the worst case, a really great early hoax uh, that I think would still play well today. Yeah. Um, those That's are definitely fantastic. some of my favorite kind of instances of, of just more traditional cryptography. Oh my gosh. I'm looking at the time here and uh, I know we could go on and on and on about this. So I'll yeah, have sorry. a couple of, no, no, no. I'm like, oh, this, is, this is fantastic. So I have a couple of uh, little final questions for you. So first, um, if, yeah, if people want to learn more about this, what are some of your recommended resources? And like, I've, I've been spamming the decode website for how to solve. Oh, yeah. I know that decode dot. Yep. I can't remember FR. I always I go to decode.fr because it's the French version and then I just translate over the English. I actually don't remember the URL for the English version. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, D-C-O-D-E. 
Uh, um, if you if idea. you if you ever want to try and solve something quickly, you you know what the cipher is. You just don't want to do the work. That's mm-hmm. a place, great place to go. I think it has a bunch. It has a whole bunch of cipher translation tools. Yeah, I think the best thing that you can do as a solver is just familiarize yourself with the signposts of what might trigger a recognition mm-hmm. of the kind of cipher it is. Um, so, you know, that'll be things like letter frequency. Um, There are certain ciphers where you might see a lot of X's, and there are certain ones where you're less likely to see X's. Um, How often uh, any particular letter might show up. Uh, So, for example, the English language has a whole bunch of E's in it. So if you're seeing um, a a non-equal distribution among the letters, uh, it might be something more like a substitution cipher. Um, If you're seeing pairs of letters, that should be an indicator. If you're seeing things that can be broken up into sequences of five, Uh, or even eight, Um, you know, you might be looking at something like a a binary. Um, What I would also say is don't memorize ciphers. Uh, Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. Um, (laughs) As someone who works with them a lot, I think one of the best things you can do is familiarize yourself with what you need to go Google and then go Google it (laughs) and just, just outsource that information. Because there was a time when I was like, you know what I need to do is I need to get really familiar with all of these. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go deep on Playfairs and Visionaires and, and it sucked. <laughs> it was just, it's, it's, the, it's the least it interesting aspect of these solves is like the mm. intricacies, at least for me, um, the intricacies of those. So I think the best thing you can do is familiarize yourself with what the options are and what you should be looking for, and then be very happy to reference your external materials for exactly how each of them work. Excellent. And is there a second question is basically if uh, people want to find you and the work you're doing, where can they go? And are you working on anything right now? Oh, man, I have a I have an outdated website at okapikid.com that I need to get back. I say this every month. I need to get back to uh, updating that. But uh, right now I'm working on um, several different things. Uh, Really excited to be potentially working on um, a couple of larger projects. that might have some nationwide reach that we'll keep our fingers crossed on, but nothing yet for right now. My, my biggest focus immediately has been on um, my newest ARG, which is uh, CXD. I launched this uh, with a, a grant locally here um, as a six month long project a couple years back. And then finally got around to figuring out a way to do it uh, in a potentially self-sustaining manner. So this is the vending machine that's at Finley Market in downtown Cincinnati uh, on the off chance you find yourself in the Midwest. Uh, But (laughs) hopefully there'll be at least two or three more iterations of this um, this year. Um, This was kind of the the way that as a scrappy creator, I was going to try to create a self-sustaining model that could also expand. So I'm trying to build this in a way that there are, that the first few missions will be the kinds of things that can work well in any city. And then once they get off the ground, going back through and doing customized pieces for each place. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Uh, aside from that, uh, I'll probably be at whatever puzzle hunt is currently happening, <laughs> either in the Discord or somewhere else. Uh, super excited to be a part of Recon these last few years, and especially this year. Uh, yeah. Recon has been just a great example of the best laid plans. You know, We, we tried to go hard <laughs> in Boston the first year, and then obviously the world... Did Just what it did. So, yep. um, the last two years, and shout outs to the team, the last two years of online have been, I think, better than anything I could have imagined. But oh, have, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have we have high hopes though for for Boston this year. So um, if all goes well with that, uh, I will be 
helping to create some experiences for you uh, in and around and as part of that conference in Boston. So uh, you might see me with a monocle and a fake mustache. Um, no, not really. But we, but we will be doing hopefully some, some in-person interactions as part of the, the alternate reality game experience for that. So super excited about that as well. And aside from that, I am Okapi Kid on all of the, the social platforms. So feel free to, to holler at me. Um, again, love doing these things. Would love to talk about any and all of them. Uh, yeah, and it's been a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I will talk us out. Oh, yeah. Great. Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can email us at roomescapedivas at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. Love getting uh, emails. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Just click like on the Room Escape Divas page. We do have community meetups every Friday night, 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we do everything from test each other's puzzles out to just talking about escape rooms to complaining about our lives so you know whatever whatever happens to be on our minds and if you are using twitter you can use the hashtag redivas thanks guys bye